You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 13 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. Last month, a client asked me whether she would be subject to US tax when she marries her boyfriend, who is a US citizen. I feel bad to admit, but I didn't know. I knew her boyfriend and future husband would be taxed on worldwide income in the US, but I wasn't sure when and how she would fall into the hands of the IIS. So I asked Jane Bruno, who you know from episode 9, and I asked her this question. When do our clients, who are not US citizens, who don't have a green card, who don't live in the US because they live in Australia, but are going out or living in a de facto relationship or are married to a US citizen, when do our clients under these circumstances become subject to US tax? Well, I start out by saying that the critical factor in this question would be if they're married or not. You know, if they're living together or and not legally married, then they will never have the, the Australian would never you know, have a responsibility to report anything to the U.S. Even if, for example, they were, it was a couple that was not married and say they decided to start a business together, a partnership, for instance, they, the, the U.S. taxpayer would report his share or his or her share of partnership interest that might incur some kind of U.S. liability or require at least reporting, but the non-American partner would, would have no responsibility to the U.S. Now, that might be a little bit different if they formed a U.S. partnership and they had a, some type of business occurring in the U.S., but I'm assuming for this discussion that everything is occurring in Australia. Would be happening in Australia. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So so once once they get married, then there's a choice. The spouse can choose, or together they can choose to never put the non-American spouse into a position of having to report to the U.S. anything. The American would always file a tax return as married separate and just basically leave out the spouse's income, assets, any really any holdings that the spouse had would be not subject to any U.S. scrutiny. There, I've had clients, especially back in the days when the FBAR was being rigorously enforced and people were getting into all kinds of problems because they hadn't reported foreign accounts. If you had a situation where one spouse was not an American, then the they would choose to put all of their assets, their bank accounts, their stock portfolio, everything in the non-American's name only. And that would take... So that they wouldn't be covered by FBAR. Exactly. And of course, there's always that practical consideration of if some something goes wrong in the marriage or, you know, there's any question of, you know, the, the, the relationship failing a bit. It's all in the non-American's 
name, then, you know, that has to, to play a, a role in, in this decision as to whether that's really a good idea in the end. If they have a joint account, that is fine. Then in, in that case, the earnings, half of the earnings would be reported by, say they had a bank account with interest. The American spouse would report half the interest and then the, the account itself would be reported on the FBAR as a joint account and certain information would be asked about the spouse name, but basically name and address. So it's, there's not a lot of information that has to be disclosed about the non-American spouse in that setting. So the U.S. citizen is a U.S. citizen and therefore always part of the U.S. tax system. Then the green card holder would be always be a resident alien no matter where he lives mm -hmm. and then we have non-resident alien and if the uh, if both of the spouses are non-resident aliens then we don't need to worry about them at all unless they live in the states but if they both live in australia and they're non-resident aliens then we don't need to worry about them so the only the only scenario that where we do basically need to bring the spouse into the equation or where we have a choice is When one spouse is a U.S. citizen or a resident alien, for example, because he holds a green card, and the other spouse is a non-resident alien because he or she doesn't have a green card, doesn't have a U.S. doesn't have U.S. citizenship, and also doesn't live in in the in the states. That's correct. Yes. So now we have established uh, one spouse is a is a resident alien, the other spouse is a non-resident alien. So and they. They are boyfriend, girlfriend. So at this stage, nothing happens. The U.S. is not not interested in that at all. Then they become a, a de facto. They become de facto spouses. They have a de facto relationship. The U.S. is still not interested. And then when they marry on that day, the U.S. becomes interested. Is that correct? Well, the U.S. only becomes interested if. They choose to file jointly and with respect to reporting joint accounts, uh, which, you know, the, the FBAR is only a reporting form. It's not, doesn't in and of itself incur a tax obligation. So, yes, so that it do, doesn't generate a whole lot of interest in and of itself just getting married. So. The, the U.S. is still completely on the sideline, even on the day they get married. It's only when this couple actively writes to the IAS and says, we would like to file jointly. We would like the non-resident alien to be treated as a, re as a resident. That is correct, yes. And that would most likely arise in a situation where the American spouse has a significant amount of income that isn't for some reason being that well offset by the foreign exclusion and or the foreign tax credit. There may be other sources of income and the non-American spouse, the non-resident alien has not a lot of income normally. And the, the value then would be that the jointly they would get two exemptions, they get a higher standard deduction. The There are a number of rules that we have that 
give certain tax advantages to people filing married joint that people filing married separate don't get. And it has to do in areas like real estate. It can, and there's just a kind of a, an odd collection of tax benefits that go to married filing jointly that don't go to married filing separate. And there seems to be something of a bias against the married, fi married filing separate, which I don't fully understand, to be honest with you, but, but it's there. So, you know, I, once again, it may be a good idea in this situation if, if say, that you prepare the tax return as married filing separate and there's a big tax liability to the U.S. for some reason, it could be lots of different things resulting in that, that you then try to, you know, the, to run it a comparison with a married joint scenario. As I said, that normally works better when the spouse doesn't have a lot of income, but the spouse in that case would still be eligible for the foreign exclusion. So once you're in that category of married filing joint, the non-resident alien spouse now is treated as if she's a U.S. citizen for tax purposes. So all of the benefits and obligations of a U.S. taxpayer become belong now to this non-resident alien. Yeah. Does the U.S. recognize marriages of um, uh, people with the same gender? Yes. I have several clients who have same-sex spouses. And as long as they married and that marriage was legally recognized in the country or the state where they married, then um, the U.S., uh, the IIS uh, would recognize it just as a normal, as a normal spouse. Yes, yes. Does the U.S. have inheritance tax? Because Australia doesn't. So if, a, if an Australian inherited property or inherited assets while filing jointly in the U.S., would those assets become subject to U.S. tax? I know the devil is in the detail, and of course you can't give a definite answer, you know, that will apply to every case. But just in general, does the U.S. tax inheritances? Well, inheritance tax in the U.S. is paid, and I don't pretend to be an expert in a state and gift tax, so I'll just <laughs> preface my comments with that. The recipient or the beneficiary of an inheritance is not responsible for any tax that results. That tax that might be incurred as a result of the death of someone and them having a large amount of property transferred to someone else, that tax is paid by the estate of the deceased. So the beneficiary just basically walks away with whatever they got, you know, and, and all the tax details are sorted out by the estate. Once the beneficiary takes the property or whatever, and there's any earnings, you know, from the date of receipt forward, they would, of course, be taxed on any earnings that come, as you know, from, from that property they received. So, you know, in general, in the most simplistic sense, if the spouse, you know, a parent dies and they inherited $100,000, it's a non-event from a U.S. tax standpoint. 
how does one make this election to be treated as a resident while one is a non-resident alien spouse? How is that election actually made? Well, it's very uh, informal. Uh, the most important thing is that the the spouse that has to get either a social security number or the ITIN, the individual taxpayer information number, and that is assigned by the IRS and is specific to tax preparation, the ITIN, whereas the social security number might down the road result in the tax in the spouse receiving perhaps social security benefits or something from from the the spouse, the American spouse. So in most cases where they're just going to file a joint return, the the couple would want to seek out the ITIN and that can actually be obtained in the year of filing the tax return for which they are filing jointly. So there's a form that has to be filled out. There have to be certified copies of the passport and other information provided with the goal, obviously, of verifying that this person who's applying for the ITIN is, is who he or she says she is. So this form can be obtained at the IRS website and would be filled out with all the appropriate um, documentation supporting it and filed with the, the tax return in the year that they're requesting it. In addition to that, then the couple would make a statement that they are electing to file jointly for this tax year. Regarding the social security number, that is for life, isn't it? So yes, some people might not even realize that they have a social social security number in the U.S. You know, when they worked there 20, 30 years ago as a student or so and left, and they might still have an SSN. Yes, that's very true. They they may, if they worked some time ago and lived here, they may have received a social. The Social Security Administration website is a very comprehensive and, and well-done website. So anybody that had a question, I think, could inquire through the website. It's just ssa.gov is Social Security Administration. They, they could inquire about that. If there's a form. The form is W-7, was the form that would be filled out to get the individual taxpayer identification number. So... Oh, yeah, I've already heard about W-7. I think you have quite a few forms that are called W-something, don't you? I, I think I also heard W-2 or something. There's, yeah, there's lots of W forms. Yes. In fact, yeah. you, now that you mention it, there are. But, um, you know, the, the basic requirements uh, is they want to do this joint filing. They have to get some identification number for the non-resident alien spouse and then just make a, a simple election, a written election. It could be uh, handwritten, yeah. you know, their name, address for taxi or so-and-so. We elect to file jointly and both sign it, and it's pretty informal. Yeah, it, it makes it makes sense. You know, it would be difficult for the IIS to work efficiently if they had some taxpayers without any vacation number or tax phone number. Right, and and if, and that that's another actually that point sort of leads to to a secondary point, which is if the couple has children and they 
want to take the children, claim them as dependents and get the, the exemption on the U.S. tax return, they would have to have a Social Security number for the child. So that would be something else that could be obtained at the consulate, at the U.S. consulate, wherever the closest consulate. There are other ways, I believe, of getting a Social Security number by applying directly with the Social Security Administration. But again, that's not really my area of expertise. But you cannot claim a child as a dependent unless you have a Social Security number for them. So is the Social Security number allocated to babies at birth or that happens Normally, later? Yes. Okay. Normal, normally it's obtained at birth. And honestly, if you are an American with a child, waiting is makes it very difficult and cumbersome. You know, sometimes the, the American, I've, I've seen this happen where the, they just either don't realize they need to do it or are not in a position to do it, whatever. And now the child is a young adult and trying to get a social security number is quite a, quite a challenge, mm -hmm. especially when they're living overseas and may have lived overseas their whole life. Um, so they have to go through quite a, quite a few hoops to get one. Whereas if, if it occurs at birth or within the first couple of years of birth, it's way easier. Yes. So our couple has married, decided to file jointly. Is that a permanent election or is it an election they can undo again? They can change their mind. It, it is automatically suspended or, or revoked if they got divorced or separated. If one, if the American dies, you know, that there's not going to be probably a need to file a U.S. tax return, but And, and they can choose to revoke it as well. And is that a free choice? Can they elect and revoke, elect, revoke without any limitations from year to year? I'm just checking the IRS pub. If the choice is ended by any, for any of the reasons, which is what we talked about, death, revocation, divorce, neither spouse can make a choice in any later tax year. I have not actually run across this situation ever where I've had a couple clients elect to file jointly and nobody's ever changed their mind. So yeah. I've, I've never, I've never really dealt with it. Yes. Okay. But it means that filing jointly must, uh, must work for them. Must be of an advantage. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there, and, and it's definitely, I think it's something that, People go into this thinking, oh, my God, I would never expose myself to the IRS. There's a very strong sentiment against doing that. And, and I can understand that, especially if you're, you're not an American and you're not obliged to. But then, you know, you may find out that there are really good financial reasons, you know, related to much reduced tax liability if you do make that choice. So if anybody has a question in their mind, it's worth it to run the, you know, run the scenario with including their income and see if it does work out to the benefit of the, of the taxpayer, of the couple to file jointly. 
If the couple decides to go back to the United States, the, the good news is that if they are elected to file jointly, the, the spouse would already have the necessary identification number to continue to file jointly. And at that point, I mean, at that point, actually, if they're both living in the, in the U.S., then they could choose to file jointly or separately. That's just that they would then both have to file their, worldwide income. their own separate returns. Yeah. So there wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, a question of the, the non-resident alien spouse not filing. She, but they, they could at that point then choose to each file a return individually or separately, married separate or file jointly. While the couple is living outside of the States, they have a choice with respect to the non-resident alien. Once they move to the States, they don't have this choice anymore because the non-resident alien spouse has become a resident alien. That's correct. In our system, we have single filers. We have married joint filers, married separate filers, and then we have a category called head of household. And this typically applies to people who have children that they're supporting, they have dependents, and they may, for they're, they're either divorced or, or widowed or they're, they're put into a special category because they have these children to support with and, and basically no one to help them financially. So they get certain benefits by filing this head of household. Many people that have a non-American spouse and children that they're claiming as dependents, they've gotten their social security number and they're, you know, they're, they're treated as U.S. citizens for tax purposes, will um, choose that head of household status. And so that's something to keep in mind when you're muddies the waters a little bit, only need to have the American living overseas with a non-American spouse and have U.S. dependent children. And they can claim the head of household status um, but they couldn't do that if they didn't have children, you know, that that's kind of the critical or, or other qualifying dependents. No, this head of household is a third category altogether. So it's married filing separate, married filing joint, or head of household. Let me just read you a little. This is directly from the IRS publication, so I think it'll probably clarify it. If you are a U.S. citizen married to a non-resident alien, you may qualify to use head of household tax rates. You are considered unmarried for head of household purposes if your spouse was a non-resident alien at any time during the year and you do not choose to treat your non-resident spouse as a resident alien. It's a bit puzzling, and uh, there's a lot of wrinkles, as there is to all of this. Welcome back. So for our Australian clients being married to a US citizen or a green card holder, nothing happens until they decide that something should happen. Or in other words, 
they are not taxed in the US unless they apply to be treated as a resident for US tax purposes. And before they get married, they're completely off the radar of the IRS anyway, unless, of course, they have US sourced income. Thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.